Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with New York City-based jazz pianist and composer Sullivan Fortner. He is gearing up for a Kansas City visit as a part of the Charlie Parker Celebration festivities from August 17th to 29th, 2017 in Kansas City, and he is ready. Along with his upcoming visit, he had much to talk about, about his hometown of New Orleans, his current home of New York, his life in jazz, and so much more. So get to know him and dig this interview you my friends yes sir sullivan thank you for joining me i appreciate it uh, thank you for thanks for the invitation absolutely so let's go ahead and start off here let me get an idea before we get into kind of the elephant in the room which is your residency here in kansas city for the charlie parker celebration give me an idea of activity that's going on in your world whether it's touring albums things that are happening with you well like my name is sullivan fortner i'm 30 years old i've been playing piano since i was Four years old. Um, moved to New York in 2008, performing with, you know, mostly since then I've been on the road, touring with various different bands, uh, Roy Hargrove Quintet, Stefan Harris, Blackout, uh, Cecile McLaurin, Savant, John Schofield Quartet, Clayton Brothers, Wynton Marcellus, um, and all of that in, in this past year. Paul Simon, um, hey, I mean, yeah. It's kind of been all over kind of recording and touring with those artists. How did this Kansas City agreement, this this trip that you're going to make to Kansas City come about? How did that happen? In the way I understand it, uh, Tavon Pinnacott, who's a friend of mine, did it last year. And he, he came back, we met up, and, you know, I just saw him randomly. He was like, man, I just got back from this thing in Kansas City. It was great. You should, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to throw them your name next year if you could do it with me. And I was like, well, okay, sure, well, it's fine. And I didn't really think too much of it. Uh, and then I got a call from my agent, Chris Neese, who's basically like, you know, if you want to do it, it's a really, really cool gig. Tavon's going to do it with you, you know. So I was like, all right, I'm free those two weeks. Why not? So that's how it came about. So... Well, obviously, there's a rich history in Kansas City with jazz. Obviously, Charlie Parker, who's one of the best-known names in jazz, is from here, and it's in celebration of his life. How do you feel about coming here beyond what you've heard and being open and all of those kinds of things? How do you feel about this opportunity? I feel honored, you know, to... It's very interesting, man. I mean, I've been to Kansas City, like, quite a few times. I've there quite a few times with different artists. Uh, I was just down there recently with uh, John Schofield's quartet for the jazz festival. And uh, aside from the fact that, you know, I can't wait to have some more ribs. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Musically speaking, I heard somewhere through the grapevine it said, you know, jazz was born in New Orleans and then moved up the river to Kansas City where it became a man and got panned. I don't know <laughs> if I necessarily agree with that, but I'll go with it. For the sake of, you know, I'm going to Kansas City, and this is a Kansas City radio. Uh. <laughs> I dig it. I dig it. Um, but I will say that the music did change when it moved up the river, you know, from from New Orleans to Chicago and down. Um, you think of people like Jay McShann. You think of people like Mary Lou Williams. You think of people like Count Basie. There's there, there's such such rich history. I think it's a street, you know, the 18th Street or something. What's just, I, I've been trying to remember exactly. 18 and Vine. Yeah, that's kind of like the precursors of the 52nd Street movement in New York. All was happening kind of similar at the same time. 
So to me, you know, just to be a part and to actually, I probably won't be able to, you know, maybe maybe those, some of those places don't exist anymore, but to be in there to soak up whatever was happening down there in, in Kansas City and what is happening down there currently now, people like Logan Richardson and Bobby Watson and a bunch of other people who are down there and who I'm going to meet and play with these next next few weeks, you know, it, it'll sure. be interesting. It'll be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm just looking forward to just, you know, going into another area of the United States <laughs> and, you know, seeing how people interpret, you know, music, seeing what's different about it, and jump in the pool and swim around a little bit, see what happens. Speaking of New Orleans, that right there, as far as I'm concerned, is a cradle, is the hub, the birth, the beginning, Louis Armstrong, you go down the line. What was it like growing up in New Orleans to give yourself such a backbone in jazz? Strangely enough, my story is a little, a little interesting. I didn't really get into jazz until high school. So the only, you know, exposure that I had, the main exposure I had to music up to that time was strictly gospel music. And that New Orleans isn't really, really known for gospel, but, you know, for New Orleans musicians, New Orleans, you know, New Orleans musicians, gospel music is, you know, pretty interesting. It has a, you know, has a certain type of history given, you know, Mayor Jackson's from there. I didn't really get into New Orleans and jazz music, New Orleans jazz music specifically, until I got to high school. I mean, you know, I heard it on with Mardi Gras or, you know, you know, TV, you know, Dr. John plays this on, you know, television commercial or Popeye's chicken ass. You know what I mean? It wasn't sure. anything really all of that. I wouldn't really have that much exposure to the music until I got to high school, which was at the New Orleans Central Fair Arts, you know. And uh and some of my classmates there, you know, really kinda helped me helped to expose me to the music, you know, so to speak. People like, you know, Kristen Scott and Troy Trombone Shorty Andrews and Jonathan Baptiste, you know. Those those are kinda more of the main more the name guys from there, but uh, no, we were, they were in my class. But since you know, while learning about it, I began to really, really understand and appreciate the significance that New Orleans had in the development of of jazz, especially modern jazz, which is also a very, very small kept secret. <laughs> Not a sure. lot of people don't really know that. You know about the history of modern jazz in New Orleans, as opposed to just traditional second line band jazz, so to speak. Well, speaking of modern stuff and the history and evolution of things, was was there a particular album or collection of albums when you started getting baptized in the jazz arts that really kind of swayed you and made you say, "Man, this is how I want to live my life"? Uh, Errol Garner's "Concert by the Sea" was. The, the album that popped my cherry in there. You know, I do distinctly remember the first time I heard Oscar Peterson's We Get Request. I distinctly remember the first Duke Ellington record I got, which was a compilation. Um, and uh, I'm skipping on the cover. And then, you know, when, I, when you study with people, you get their records. So my my first piano teacher was a guy named Peter Martin, who plays with Diane Reeves. And um, I got his record, you know. He told me to check out Herbie Hancock's theme from Blow Up, and I pretty much learned that whole record in a week. Hmm. 
So that was my, you know, according to him. I don't, I don't, I don't know if I could play anything from that record now, but according <laughs> to him, I learned that whole record in a week. So you're a well-educated man. You've gone to Overland Conservatory, Manhattan School of Music. You got bachelor's, master's degree. But I think in the world of jazz, you really get your doctorate and get baptized well in the world of jazz when you're out with people. What kind of lessons did you learn from Roy Hargrove and Stefan Harris, people that had so much mileage in their rear view, not only about being a musician, but about being a participant in this human dance that we're in? Oh, boy. Uh, well, Stefan was my introduction to uh, touring, you know, especially European touring. Um, it was the first first band that I kind of walked into that, you know, I didn't really know anybody in the band except for Stefan. <laughs> you know what I mean? So sure. I and I was kind of either subbing or replacing Mark Carey, who was the pianist in that band, who was the original pianist in that band, uh, one of the originals. And, you know, so I already came in with a, with a strange vibe. You know what I mean? Because sure. I missed Mark. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I dig it. So it was similar to Roy in the fact that, you know, I just, I just Roy had been kind of scouted for pianists. You know, for quite a few years since Gerald had left, and they had a lot of piano players that kind of was on rotation. Um, started with, uh, and finally he settled on Joe Holmes, a guy from uh, Maryland who lives in the Ukraine now. And then Joe couldn't make some dates, so he finally settled on Jonathan Baptiste. And Jonathan was his pianist, and then I kind of came in. Because Jonathan double booked himself, so I, I kind of I'm kind of stepping on a bunch of piano players' toes on both both scenarios of the band, and what that kind of taught me was that you know, basically, you know, no gig is really definite. <laughs> you know, <laughs> thing is, you know, that's my gig. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And. And to not be swayed by other people's kind of vibes or opinions about what they think you'll do. It's just a matter of just getting in and just playing the music as best as you can, trying to hang on. Sure. Um, and under a lot of pressure, because those are all great pianists whose shoes you're trying to feel. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, one lesson that I got from Stefan that was very interesting was never to deny or ignore you know, the things that you love about music and to never deny or ignore your roots, you know. Yeah. It came at a time, and it was great advice, too, because it came at a time where I was, you know, being swayed by different opinions of what I should do because I was in I was in college. I was still getting my master's degree at Manhattan School. And, you know, all of these influences were coming in, and I was trying to incorporate everything and trying to please a whole lot of people. And he was like, man, just... Just play, you know, play music that you love and play the music that you grew up with. You know, don't try to be, you know, always just remember that. Remember that in everything that you learned, everything that you learned new about music. Remember what it was that made you fall in love with it in the first place. And play from that. Roy's situation is very interesting because 
uh, one of the main things I remember him basically because he's the type of person that that teaches you without words. He says absolutely nothing to you. But I distinctly remember one thing that you know he stresses, and that the importance of understanding the tradition and the fabric that makes up the music. So under becoming familiar and understanding the music of Charlie Parker and understanding the music of Fat Navarro and understanding the music of Louis Armstrong and understanding the music of Freddie Hubbard and, and all of these guys, you know, because those are the guys that he came through. And in order to play with him, you have to understand, you know, who he likes. <laughs> and you begin to develop an appreciation for the geniuses, the, 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 the true geniuses of modern music. Well, a healthy reverence of history is always uh, always a good thing to have. You know, the one thing I think you're going to s- discover about Kansas City, and obviously I'm biased, and I don't want to put any words in, in your head that may sway you otherwise, but from what I've seen as somebody that looks in on the scene and covers it from my perspective is that it's a tight-knit group. Everybody supports each other. You can jump in. Really a supportive community. So I'm curious with – another cradle of jazz in New Orleans. What's the scene like? How how do the musicians intermingle, and what's kind of the vibe there in New Orleans? Uh, I mean, I, I live in New York now, so I'm, I'm a little bit detached from the, the New Orleans scene, so to speak. I can say that New Orleans musicians are very, very, uh, it's very, very, everybody, all the, all the New Orleans musicians know each other. <laughs> That's the hmm. first thing. And that there is, you say there's a really rich history of modern musicians who come from there and who actually move back and who give back to the community, be it you know through bands or be it through you know schools or whatever. You know what I mean? People like Donald Harrison and Terrence Blanchard, those guys still live there. You know. Uh, Christian Scott, I think, moved down there. Um, so, uh, you know, and then Nicholas Payton's there. You know, so there's a lot of musicians that are there that's teaching and giving back to the community and, you know, helping to, you know, foster younger musicians. So there's always a rich culture of older musicians looking out for younger musicians, so to speak. If you're from New Orleans, then you pretty much have all the other New Orleans musicians on your corner. Now, whether or not they... Whether or not they choose to talk trash about you is a whole, is a whole other thing. Absolutely. So as most as musicians do, that's what that's that's a part of it. You know, I guess that's sure. a part of the history of it. You know, but I would say overall it's a very very tight knit family, and you know, even being in New Orleans, I mean being in New York, uh, you know, there are a lot of New Orleans musicians who live in New York, and you know, we all look out for each other. You know, from Winton all the all the way on down. You know. Without a doubt. You know, in your career, you've, you've been given awards. You got the Cole Porter Fellowship in 2015. What do awards mean to you? How does that fuel your approach? Does it affect how you approach things? Not really. Uh, <laughs> I, was, I was never – I didn't. Really, I don't really like a whole lot of it. And I'm not yeah. one that, you know, that, you know feeds, feeds off of, you know, Opinions. Well, I mean, not, not, I mean, I, I do feed off of opinions. I'm lying. I mean, you know, I, you know, because you know, the music is music's very tough, man. And you know, especially when you don't really get a whole lot of direction from people, it's really hard to see. You know, hard to know if you're going in a direction that you know 
you know, the right the right way, if you're going the right way, so to speak. Sure. So sometimes awards could be kind of a reassurance that you, you're still in the right direction. You need to keep doing what you're doing and keep working the way you're working, you know, keep pushing the way you're pushing. But other than that, it doesn't really do very much for, you know, as far as my attitude or, you know, how I look at how I play or whatever. <laughs> sure. It, you know, I still think I'm, you know, I, I have a long way to go as far as, you know, music is concerned. <laughs> sure. No, that's that. And, and that answer is a question that I was going to ask about your career, but I want to ask you kind of a generic question as a practitioner of jazz, and you've dedicated your life to it. Why do you love jazz? I guess the same reason why I hate jazz is why I love it. It's probably the only art form, the only musical art form, that forces you to bring your complete self to it and to leave yourself completely vulnerable in order for it to work. And while leaving your, while keeping, and while being vulnerable, you have to also sacrifice a lot for the sake of the music, for the sake of the other players. And when the sacrifice level is the same, that's when the music really explodes. That's kind of a long or short answer. Okay. No, I, yeah, I like it. I like it. The one thing I'm curious about, too, being from New Orleans and now you're in New York and there's so much history in both of these towns and you're coming to a town that's full of history, let's get kind of fantastical here and say that the Jazz DeLorean pulls up in front of your house and you can punch in the coordinates, you can go to whatever year and location you want to go to. Who are you going to go see? Who would you want to see in the history of jazz that would uh, satisfy you? I want to see Art Tatum play. I want to see, there's a picture that somebody gave me. There's a picture of Art Tatum and Eric Garner playing, sitting at the same piano at the same time. I would love to be, with all my heart, I'd love to be a fly on the wall just to <laughs> see what that was like. Yeah, that would be beautiful. So let me get to the crux of who you are and ask you this. Everyone has a version of you, your family, your friends, business associates, people that will be in the crowd in Kansas City and in all of your shows that you play, those that buy your CDs. But at the end of the day, you're you're piloting the ship. Who are you? Who do you think you are? <laughs> oh, Jesus. It's a hard question. <laughs> I saved the best for last. Uh, essentially, I'm Southern. <laughs> I'm, I'm basically Southern comfort, man. I'm, I'm you know. I like to think I'm a nice person, and I would like to think that I'm a, you know, I'm 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 giving, and that, you know, I'd like to think that I'm. There's certain things about me that people would probably argue that I'm selfish, but I don't think I'm very selfish. At least, at least my ex-girlfriend thinks I'm selfish. I don't think I'm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love music. Music is, you know, is is definitely. I would say that I'm about 85 to 90% music. <laughs> cool. You know, um, yeah. I love to eat. I love food. You know, I love, you know, I love fried chicken and barbecue. You know, I, <laughs> you know, like, I'm, like, I mean, I guess I'm just a normal, I don't know if I would, people would say I'm normal, but I'm a, I'm a I'm a I'm a good clean Christian Southern boy from New Orleans, Louisiana, pretty much. Who loves jazz and loves music and loves 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 musicians. That's it. I like it. 
I like it. Hey, Sullivan, thank you for taking a minute out for me today. And thank you for coming to Kansas City. Hopefully you have the time of your life here and, and you, uh, you get some good experiences. Oh, man, I'm looking forward to it. It should be a lot of fun. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in New York, New Orleans, Kansas City, and spots all over the world, giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Sullivan for his visit to Kansas City, his time, and all of that music. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store, visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com, and for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.